case that sarcasm is the last refuge of the true scoundrel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, sharpen your wits, friends. Hone your fantastic cutting remarks to a fine edge. Would you uh, please, if you will, bring it up a little larger there? It's, uh, like that little filigree around the edge there. Just feeling, uh, just feeling, you know, it's one of those nights. I just have that feeling. You know, I sit here and throw rocks at the street lights. <laughs> Which befits a night devoted to talking about New York's east side. I think it's enough of that, Bill. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I, I want to get right to it. You know, we've got very important things here to do. And uh, for those of you who are in the uh, area of the station here, you realize that all day long we've been doing a series of programs about New York's East Side. You know, every month we do these things. One time we did The Village. We did Harlem, a few other places. Now it's New York's East Side. Now I'll tell you this, uh, that I'm, I'm not about to give you statistics. Uh, and I'm not about to sit here and tell you about the, the uh, number of people that move in and out on any given day out of the East Side. But uh, uh, this, uh, this could be interesting for those of you. You know, New York has been probably getting more publicity, uh, both good or bad, mostly bad, than any other city in the Western world in the last uh, couple of years. And I think primarily because it's, uh, it's kind of a, a media thing. I think the media gets into these things, you know, and they just run with it. It's, uh, it's just like a few years back, you could get a, a laugh on any radio program or television show just by mentioning Brooklyn. And uh, whether or not Brooklyn was funny or whether it merited or not was beside the point. It was just something that triggered off a whole thing. And so today, when people think... Uh, Somehow you can always get a joke or a laugh on a show by talking about New York. <laughs> and uh, maybe we bring it on ourselves, because one of the things that New Yorkers do more than anything else is gripe. I think, uh, I think New Yorkers themselves are the greatest breast beaters. And I've lived in various parts of the world and certainly various parts of the country. I've never known a city where there's more... Well, there's a great word for it that you hear in, in, the, in the city, and it's kvetching. Uh, this is the city of the total kvetch. And unless you're unless you're walking around laying it out like that, you're considered insensitive. <laughs> unless you really quetch a great deal, you're considered a person who really isn't aware of the total problems facing mankind today, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, it's the city that believes in ad hoc committees of they they proliferate like uh, cockroaches on a Saturday night in a in a kitchen someplace where they've left the where they've let the bread around. And uh, this this is the way it goes. I mean, it's just the kind of city it is. And, and for one reason or another, that's the way New York is. And it's always been this way, as long as I've been here anyway. And uh, on the other hand, New Yorkers have another curious thing going with them. In addition to being total quetchers uh, about their own town, oh, man, I'll tell you, they really... Have you ever tried to say anything good about New York to a cab driver? 
impossible. He, he, he'll turn around someday. In fact, uh, this is considered almost a mortal primal insult. It's like, uh, you know, it's like riding around in the Vatican. And uh, you're being taken on the tour of the Vatican by a uh, bishop, and you start saying bad things about the Catholics. Well, he's insulted, naturally. Well, in New York, it's the opposite, you know. If you say something good about New York, you look around, what are you, from out of town or what, you know? And, uh, now then, on the other hand, if you start saying things bad about New York, and you don't do it quite right, he'll turn around and say, what are you, New York? I've been to Chicago. What kind of cockamamie town is that? So, uh... <laughs> We're torn by where it's a love-hate relationship. Do you agree with that? Uh, that is really much more prevalent in New York than any other city that I know of. Now, tonight, uh, we're going to talk uh, primarily about the East Side. Now, I'm going to direct most of what I have to say to people who, know, who don't know much about New York, because to most people outside of New York, this is a fantastic mystery. The city of New York is a, is a giant enigma. And... Uh, and it is in some ways, even the people who live in the city. It's, it's like an enormous rabbit warren. And, uh, yeah, it is. And, and if you're one of the rabbits, you get so that you know the little burrow that you live in. And uh, that's your little thing. And all the rest of the, the, the excuse the terrible pun, uh, you, 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 you just look at the rest of it as a mystery. So many people living in the Bronx don't really know much about Manhattan. And uh, certainly uh, the reverse is true, too. And uh, many people living, uh, you know, just a few hundred uh, yards, actually, right across the river from Manhattan. It's a great mystery. Now, I've lived in Manhattan ever since I've been in the New York area, and in various parts of it, and uh, throughout a great part of the primal period in my life, that is, the formative days in my life as a performer, artist, and whatever I was involved in, I lived on the east side. Now, I lived, and this is, a, I suppose, one of those coincidences, I lived in three specific and very diametrically opposed parts of the East Side. Now, most people, in fact, uh, to, for those of you who want to know geographically what the East Side is, you don't really know, you just hear the generic term, the East Side. Well, the East Side is generally considered anything that is east of Fifth Avenue in Manhattan, and, and Fifth Avenue runs right up the middle of uh, New York. It runs right up the middle of Manhattan, a spine-like. And uh, anything on, on the, of course, each side of the island, it's a long, narrow island. You've all seen pictures of it, but uh, one side of the island is bounded by the East River, the other side by the Hudson. Hudson is on the west side. Of course, the East River is obviously on the east. And uh, right down the middle of it, fairly geographically the middle, is... Uh, Fifth Avenue. Now, Fifth Avenue doesn't run all the way down to the end of the island. That is down to the battery. It uh, it doesn't, uh, but uh, it begins to get very confusing down at the law at the far end of the island, way down at the tip, down at the battery. Which side of the town you're on? Because it gets to be narrow down there, and and it's really academic whether you're on the east side or the west side because you can throw a rock from one side to the other, really. And that's the, that's the far end down where Wall Street and all the financial district and so forth is concerned. But as you get further uptown, as you get uh, up past, uh, I would say up past Canal Street, uh, which is certainly not uptown, but Canal Street uh, cuts down right south of the village, as you get uh, up past that, you begin to notice a very specific difference between the east side and the west side. Now, uh, my... 
my uh, own personal experience, and this is all I'm going to talk about, uh, I lived in three specific parts of the east side. And as you go up, as you go up from the downtown area, let's say you were going to start down around the Battery and you started to go up the east side, there it's, it's just a fantastic uh, uh, change that goes on. I mean, it, it, I don't know of any city that has more dramatic changes almost from block to block than New York's east side. Uh, on the one hand, you can go all the way down to the old lower east side uh, area down there, which used to be the ghettos and the slums and so on, and largely still remain that. Uh, you can go all the way on up to some of the most elegant places, some of the most elegant life lived anywhere in the Western world. Is lived all, and it's all part of the East Side. A guy can say, "Well, I live on the East Side," and he does. So you can travel from the Alpha to the Omega of of, uh, of lifestyles, just and staying strictly on the East Side. Now, I happen to have had the fortune to live in, th in, all, in three different specific types of East Side life. Uh, when I, one, one, one spectacular period in my life, which I enjoyed very much for a lot of reasons, because the life is, uh, there's, a, there's a whole thing there. I lived on 7th Street. Now, 7th Street is considered the Lower East Side off 2nd Avenue. That is the eastern, uh, east of 2nd Avenue, down off off 2nd uh, on 7th Street. And that's the real thing. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I spent many an evening in Ratner's down there. Now, that whole area is the area around the turn of the century that was settled largely by immigrants, mostly from Eastern Europe. And uh, just like the village, which is a little bit west of that, and somewhat considerably west, was settled largely by Italians around the same time. But down... On the Lower East Side, down around 7th Street and 6th Street and 3rd Street, that whole area, there are thousands of places that are th still to this day, you know, you go down and it says Immigrant Aid Society, and you see a little, a little uh, storefront, these people sitting in there wearing their shawls, and they're, you know, it's, it's almost like out of pictures you, s you see of the old melting pot concept. I suspect that one of the sad uh, disillusionments that has hit in America within the past eight or nine years. I haven't seen much written on it, but this is a personal observation that years ago, I remember when I was, you know, when I was studying about New York when I was a, a school kid, uh, they used to always talk about the melting pot. Do you ever hear that phrase? They used to talk about New York as the melting pot. And actually, it turned out that that was not true, that, uh, that it didn't melt, that in a sense now you find all the old ethnic attitudes and all the old racial attitudes and all the old national attitudes beginning to grow back in New York until today. They're really, the, the people, many of the people who've been here two and three generations are far more nationalistic to the country that they came from or their family came from eight or maybe six or seven generations back than the, than the people who originally came over here. So this, is, uh, this has been a problem, I, I, and, and you find it very true in New York. I, I, that's the first thing that hit me about coming to New York, was the fact that, that all the nationalities seem to live in little enclaves. Not necessarily true in other parts of the country. Certainly it isn't as, as true in Chicago, where there are many immigrants, too. You know that at one point there were more Poles in Chicago than in Warsaw. This is something not many people know, and yet they didn't live in the kind of enclaves that, that we have here in New York. They're a definite enclave. So I lived down on the Lower East Side for some time, and it was a it was a great time I, because that that part of the city down there 
uh, down, if you ever get a chance to come into town here, there's old theaters, that's where the old Yiddish theater was, and and uh, the, even a little bit further south, the Chinese theaters and so forth are down there. But uh, in that 7th Street area, which is now called the East Village, the, it's, it's taken on a new term, but uh, to the natives there who still sit on the steps amid thousands of hippies moving around and and the runaways and one thing and other people on drugs and so forth and all the head shops and so on in the area. As far as they're concerned, it still remains the Lower East Side. And it's divided into two populations there. The old residents, who uh, who are the the uh, second generation, in some cases even first generation immigrants still living in that area, and the, the newcomers, the, the whole crowd that's moved in there and are sort of imposed upon it. And uh, you see the two groups just sort of looking at each other with a curious... A totally incomprehending stare. They, they they have no nothing in relationship. Well, as you go up, say, the east side, you go up Second Avenue. The the the, uh, the tenor changes slightly until you get up around Fourteenth Street, Second Avenue, and uh, this is uh, already it's beginning to change. And there's there's another quality in the life there. And I can remember summers uh, walking around under eating clams down around First Avenue and Fourteenth Street. They have all the Guys out in the street there selling clams, and these ladies walk along. You know, uh, women <laughs> women come along. They're in there shopping. In other parts of the country, you know, where they'll uh, ladies will go out and they'll have a coke when they're shopping. Well, down there in that area, 14th and around first, when the lady's out shopping, she's got a net shopping bag. She'll stop by, and from a corner guy there buy a plate of clams. And uh, you've seen them do this. You know, they dip the clams and. And knock it off. This is this is the kind of stuff that makes New York distinctly New York. I've never seen this specific type of life. Now that whole area down there is is uh, is uh, is is probably one of the last strongholds of what could be called little old New York, the New York of around the turn of the century. And uh, this is W O R New York. Speaking of enclaves of old New York, let's see. Do you have a do you have a thing in there? Do you have? Let's see. You get some, oh, we got a lot of spots here tonight. So how about the King Carol first? What do you say? Hit the, hit the thing there, and uh, while you're doing that, I'll prepare another zingy here. This spring, it's your turn to swing. All five King Carol record shops are holding a swinging spring sale of RCA records and tapes. RCA records has the most important catalog in the entire world, with the greatest stars in every field of music, from Perry Como to the Guess Who, from Harry Nielsen to Leontine Price, from Elvis Presley to Arturo Toscanini, and from Eddie Arnold to Caruso. During this RCA swinging spring sale, King Carol is featuring every album in the RCA catalog for the incredibly low sale price of three thirty-nine. dollars Our regular discount price is four ninety-five. dollars all on sale now for $3.39, the lowest price for RCA albums in years. All Camden and Victrola albums, as well as cartridge tapes and cassettes, are being sold at comparable low prices. So get in on the swinging spring sale at five great King Carroll stores. 42nd Street at 6th Avenue, 42nd Street at 10th Avenue, 3rd Avenue at 57th Street, 609 5th Avenue, and Main Street in Flushing. Okay, uh, <laughs> okay, Perry Como. Now, uh, would you please uh, lay a little of that Portuguese stuff on me, man? <laughs> oh, man. You know, I feel a little embarrassed talking about Portugal uh, every night because, uh, you know, you feel like you're getting a little redundant, but uh, it is, uh, I would have to say, uh, I would say at this point, my favorite country in Europe, just to visit, because you know, a lot of reasons... And one of the most important is that there aren't crowds, millions of uh, roving tourists 
all bearing their instamatics, which, uh, you know, is like the buffalo in heat. But uh, nevertheless, if, you, if you'd like to visit Portugal, friend, I would like to suggest that you call TAP, which is the Intercontinental Airline of Portugal. They have a really great two-week royal treatment tour of Portugal and Spain, both countries, and really they're very different. For $453, it'll show you the Portugal that the Portuguese have kind of kept for themselves. They have great little wine shops and cheese and ceramic places, fantastic fishing villages and so on. You'll dig it, really. Call your travel agent or TAP, and this is a personal recommendation, too, uh, at 421. Call them. Just ask them, you know, about this royal treatment tour. 421-8500 for complete details. That's 453, 453 little iron men for two weeks, including round-trip economy airfare. Yeah, that's, uh, that's all right. You can't hardly live in Trenton for two weeks for that. Bring it up there, man. Of course, they have plenty of the wine shops in Trenton, too. <laughs> All it there. There you go. Thank you. That's fun. Uh, let's see. Uh, hey, uh, we have another one here. It's a Smithsonian people with us again tonight. And if you don't know this magazine, it's really great. It really is. Uh, if you'd like to join an archaeological expedition to Greece, you know, and walk around. And uh, this is a Smithsonian is the name of the magazine, and everybody knows what the Smithsonian Institution is. Well, this is the official publication of that institution. You know that that institution has been called, who was it who called the Smithsonian Institution America's National Attic? Where they put all the junk up there. You know, they've got those lampshades that were owned by Martha Washington and all kinds of insane stuff there. But uh, this is a great magazine, and and uh, if you'd like to get this magazine every month, a 12-issue subscription, the Smithsonian Magazine is beautifully produced. It's really worth it. It's only $10 plus a membership to the Smithsonian Institution. You'll get all kinds of information on that, uh, discounts on books and so forth. And it's really worth it. So uh, all you have to do is write a note to Smithsonian, Smithsonian. And I'm not going to spell it to you in care of it. It says personality. Who's that? He's on the morning. Smithsonian, W-O-R, New York, 10018. Or you can call this number right now, M-U-7-7500. You call the number, and they won't ask you to send money. They'll just take your name, and they'll bill you later. And for 10 bucks, friend, you can't go wrong. A lot of ting, ting, ting. $10 sounds like a ridiculously small figure these days, doesn't it? It really does. Have you looked at the price of a chopped chuck lately? <laughs> That's about two meatloaves, friends. Let's see, we have another spot. Uh, how about the flying birds here? Yeah, and uh, for three ninety-eight, if you can't make uh, Portugal, we'd like to suggest you get yourself a flying bird. At least it'll do something for your summer. And uh, if you don't know what these things are, they fly, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, a lot of people, uh, let's, I'm not making any value judgments about your summer, friend. At least the bird can fly, and a lot of people are earthbound. And uh, it's 398. It's a 16-inch bird, which is a pretty good-sized bird. If a 16-inch bird flew into your house, you'd probably flip. So uh, don't put it down for the speed and the size of it. And it flies like a real bird. This is an ornithopter. It really does. You know, it's no, it's no kite or anything like that. You just wind this little son of a gun up and let him go. And prepare to answer to it when they start banging on your doors with shotguns and stuff. 
This bird, you can get them in a white color or you can get the, a yellow one. And they're both beautiful. Three ninety-eight, and they're guaranteed to fly. You just send your check or money order to Flying Birds, Department S, Post Office Box 1909, Grand Central Station, New York, New York, 10017. Which is a long way of saying something simple. Three ninety-eight. Now, let's see. We've got King Carol, Flying Birds, Smithsonian, TAP. And what about the Les Champs? I'm supposed to talk romantically here. Do you mind if I uh, shift gears here? You know, when you're talking about 7th Street, it's pretty hard to get romantic. Uh, <laughs> there you are, friends at an intimate table graced by candlelight. Anyway, uh, you know, this is a whole lot of glop here, but what I'd like to suggest is if you're coming to town and you're looking for a good French restaurant, I'd like to suggest Le Champs, which is a good restaurant and an excellent French one if you like French food. They're 25 East 40th Street between Park and Madison, Les Champs. And uh, they have to have reservations. It's, it's really, you don't really need reservations, but it's wise. In fact, if you know anything about New York, a good restaurant, you should always do it. It's LE26566, and that's Les Champs, 25 East 40th Street between Park and Madison, right in the heart of the east side that we're talking about, the elegant east side. All right, now, let's get out. Oh, one more thing, too, I have to note here. Uh, Friday, uh, Friday, I'm going to be in Philadelphia. We're doing a show at Drexel, and uh, it's a kind of a benefit for the radio station there, WKDU, which is the college radio station, you know, Drexel, which is a good school, by the way. And uh, Friday, the 28th, we'll be in the main auditorium at 8.30 p.m., and I'll come there flapping my wings and uh, making the scene. That's uh, Friday night, this Friday, me, live in concert, Sponsored by WKDU, and if you're in Philadelphia, we'll be there at 8.30, the main auditorium in Drexel. And if you're in Philadelphia, you can call for ticket information. It's a benefit for WKDU. Call them at area code 215-EV74800. EV74800. Sounds like a sinister code. That's area code 215. Okay, now, back to the east side. Um... The Lower East Side is probably, uh, there's more, there's more, I would suspect that they're in the films. There's two parts of the East Side that are in films, old films particularly. When, once in a while you'll see old Jimmy Cagney films or Pat O'Brien films. And uh, they, they shot thousands of them down there in the Lower East Side. And a couple of years ago I was called as a technical consultant, believe it or not, on a film that was to be shot in the Lower East Side. Uh, it was a film that starred Sean Connery. Do you remember uh, A Fine Madness? Do you recall the film? Well, uh, that was shot down around 7th Street. And they uh, shot uh, right off of 2nd Avenue, and he was supposed to be a poet living in that area, which is quite authentic because there's all kinds of people of that type living in there now. And uh, they called me in as a technical consultant. It was Warner Brothers, and I spent some very cold afternoons walking around telling them the garbage cans weren't right. <laughs> But uh, that was that was part of the Lower East Side. Then then uh, then as you go on up, uh, if you if you travel directly north, uh, you 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 go through some very interesting areas. You go through the 30s, and this is the old Murray Hill district. Uh, Murray Hill, in case uh, you don't know what that is, Murray was a farmer, and uh, he he there's a hill there, an actual hill, which is called Murray Hill, right? And I believe his part of his farmhouse still exists. It's it's uh, it's uh, 
preserved, or at least part of the buildings around, it, they are preserved as historical heritage. And uh, during the Revolutionary War, this played a great role. Uh, some of the some of the original skirmishes were fought around Murray Hill, which is in the 30s, just uh, east of uh, Park Avenue, and over to the river. At that time, this is something that is not too well known. Uh, the Lower East Side and all the way on up to the 30s was really swamp country, very swampy country. Uh, back in the days, uh, pre just before and right after the Revolution, and it was highly strategic country too. There were a lot of battles fought in that area, and Murray uh, was a farmer, a man named Murray, and this is, uh, you know, he's most famous. He gave his name to a telephone exchange here, Murray Hill. <laughs> now, uh, that's uh, that's in the 30s. Also, Turtle Bay. Do you, any of you know where Turtle Bay is down there? Well, that's that's in that same area. And uh, this this is all part of the old historical New York, which not many people even talk much about. And at one time... As you go further north, at one time there was a reservoir, uh, historically, uh, that was around uh, 42nd Street, around Bryant Park. It was a famous reservoir, and that's where the water supply of New York was. And now you were already getting, back around the time uh, of, this is, a, of course, post-revolutionary days, back in the early 1800s, you are now getting into the suburbs. Uh, the, the New York grew from the bottom down around Battery on up. It grew that way, slowly north. And uh, back prior to the days of, of, the, of the Revolutionary and just after the Revolutionary War, all this area that we're living in, Times Square, uh, Fifth Avenue, all the elegant, this was, this was completely the country. And there are still pictures around of farms that existed in this whole area where guys farmed. It's hard to believe it now. But... Uh, uh, one other thing that, that, that I think uh, that even New Yorkers are surprised to know, that areas that we know of in New York City used to be actual villages. For example, Greenwich Village was a real village, you know. It was not part of the original city of New York. It was Greenwich Village, and it was a little village that was north of the original New York, which was way down, uh, down at the Battery. Uh, for those of you who don't know what the battery is, the battery was a, an actual artillery battery that was stationed down there, and it, it, it was very important during the days of the uh, Revolutionary War. Now, uh, different parts of the city were different, actually different villages. For example, as you go further up the east side, you get into the area of, say, Yorkville. Yorkville was a separate village at one time. It was not, uh, uh, you know, part of the New York seen and it was it was a village uh did you know that there was a village called dry dock and that's what they call now today dry dock country you know they, they always refer to dry dock country which is up in the 50s uh just up there off of lexington avenue now it's it's become associated with the name of a bank but the dry dock bank really was named after the village of dry dock uh, and and all these little areas around were separate villages, and they were never really incorporated into the city. The city just sort of grew up around them, and eventually they just sort of melded into the city, and it, 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 they became part of the town. Now, uh, the three areas that I personally lived in, as you go further on up north, you finally get to the to the area of 57th Street. Now, uh, 57th Street cuts directly across Manhattan, north of uh, Times Square. It's it's up. Uh, it's up, well, it's 57th Street, and it cuts directly across from the East River all the way over to the Hudson. 
And that's kind of a dividing line. It's a subtle dividing line. But people in New York recognize it, even if they don't say much about it, uh, that the area north of 57th Street, as you, get, as you just move up north uh, and east of Fifth Avenue, this is the elegant uh, silk-stocking district that, uh, that people refer to, up, up around Park Avenue, uh, as I said, east of Fifth and 57th Street. Now, as you go east on 57th Street and you get down into, into uh, the area as it just touches the river, this is probably uh, some of the most elegant living in the Western world is right at that point. This is Sutton Place, where uh, maybe a couple of inches of, uh, of real estate will go for, say, an, an entire 42-acre lot anywhere else in the world. Uh, it's very elegant. And at one time, I don't know whether any of you have got any copies of it out there, uh, I did a little writing. I used to do a lot of writing on New York. How many of you have the Night People's Guide to New York City? All right. Uh, here's one that I doubt whether you've got. How many of you? How many of you have an artist's view of New York? A very interesting book. They went out. And they got twelve separate and very distinct people to write their view of whatever they wanted to write about New York. And I believe Mailer was in it. Uh, I did a piece on Fifty Seventh Street. My piece was 57th Street, going from the river on the west side all the way over to the river on the east side. And I suspect that to most people who sit out in, in the places like uh, Lexington, Kentucky, and only know New York uh, pretty much vicariously, the New York that, that you saw most of all in, in uh, Ginger Rogers movies and Fred Astaire movies would have to be that area around Sutton Place. Wouldn't you agree to that? The penthouses. This is where the, the penthouse life proliferates. <laughs> and, uh, and the elegant townhouses and so forth. However, the curious thing about it is that it was spotty even. And that it even, uh, it even remains so today. So just a block or two south of these elegant penthouses on uh, Sutton Place, you're in, the, you're in the East 50s, which remains uh, a very, uh, a, let's say, almost a borderline ghetto, a borderline slum. Over there around 2nd Avenue, 3rd Avenue. It's curious how you see the city uh, it's spottily changing. And then as you move up, then, then of course, uh, just north of 57th Street is, uh, is the, uh, I, sh I should have to say, the, the uh, singles bar capital of the Western world. Uh, <laughs> every bar has a mister before it. Uh, Mr. Fred's, Mr. Al's, uh, Mr. Laugh's, Mr. Ding Dong. They all have these cutie pie names, like the pink balloon with the green raisin on top of it. And, and uh, every night uh, there are thousands of of, of, of uh, hungry-eyed guys gather in these bars and hope to make a connection. And uh, <laughs> this is in the 60s. This is uh, in the lower 60s, uh, just uh, east of Lexington, around in that Lexington 3rd Avenue, that whole area in there. And it's also known as, uh, as Stewardessville. Uh, every third apartment in that area is filled with steward eye who have uh, gravitated to the city and uh, you know they they uh, they're living the life of uh, uh, I guess it's the, it's the life that's been popularized by cosmopolitan really and playboy mr. laugh syndrome and uh, they they live in that area because it's quite convenient really to LaGuardia it's not too far from the bridge and you can get over there pretty fast and, uh, you know, it's elegant. Uh, not elegant, really, but it's stewardessville. Somehow they've taken that on. 
And then as you go further north, you get, in, you get into something else. Uh, the further north you go along the east side. And I would have to say that, uh, of course, Fifth Avenue ends, uh, it runs right along the park. And Sixth Avenue ends at the park. And that park really then becomes a real dividing line, a real division, uh, Central Park. On, on the west side, of course, is, the, is, is a whole different world. And the people living on the west side of New York, uh, on the west side of the park, they can see the lights of the east side over there. See, that's a great social jump, fantastic social jump across that park. And uh, you get into the 50s and the, uh, up through the 60s and 70s, and some of the most fantastic, elegant townhouses, probably anywhere this side of the Shah of Iran, are right in that area, uh, right off the uh, right off the park in the 70s. This is where Jackie Kennedy lives, and all these people live that that uh, you know most people think of in terms of the elegant New York. And it has its shoddy side too. Don't 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 believe. And incidentally, this happens to be an area where there's a very high crime rate too. Curiously enough, of course, uh, crime goes where the money is, and uh, ultimately one draws the other. And then you get up into what I consider one of the most interesting parts of New York, which is not even visited too often by New Yorkers, and it's kind of sad. Uh, that's Yorkville. Uh, Yorkville really has a distinctive quality to it. Very few tourists go to Yorkville for some curious reason, and yet it is a part of the city where there's a distinct quality and uh, I can only say it's a kind of Gemutlichkeit, you know. It's a uh, it's a German area, but it's really not German. It's it's a New York version of the German area, and it's uh, it's really more Czechoslovakia. There's a lot of Czech restaurants in in around the 70s, uh, Czech and and uh, Hungarian and Yugoslavian, and all kinds of strange, interesting, great restaurants in the 70s off of Second and Third Avenue. This is where a lot of television used to be produced, by the way, a few years ago. A lot of the TV uh, in the original early days of television, that was, the, that was the center of television over there in the East 60s, way over there by First Avenue, Dumont, uh, all those places. The, the, I remember one of the first nights I spent in that area was a night I was on the uh, Ernie Kovac show. And uh, Ernie, of course, uh, Ernie was Hungarian, and... and uh, and Ernie was an old friend of mine, and after after the show, uh, Ernie, uh, who loved to eat, and he was a guy that did everything uh, all the way, I mean, whether he was playing poker or what, he just went for broke. Uh, after the show, Ernie uh, grabbed about nine cigars out of his office, big dollar-and-a-half ones, and we went down to uh, his favorite Hungarian restaurant, which was off of First Avenue down there, and 74th, I believe, somewhere in that area. And we sat around and talked... Uh, uh, talk show business, and uh, and he spoke Hungarian. I only I know about five words of Hungarian. You know things like "enem tudom tashik," "tapolomvajo," various uh, type words which are guaranteed to get you in a fight, any any place you drop into and start yelling them around. And so uh, this this part of New York is a, is a whole new scene to most New York uh, visitors. They just don't go in that area. It's not on the tour. It's simply not. And then when you get up into the 80s, now this is where I lived. I lived on 88th, uh, just off First Avenue, right in the heart of Yorkville. And uh, how I happened to be there. And at one time I lived right off Sutton Place, too. So I've lived uh, on 7th Street. I don't think many New Yorkers have, have spanned that kind of, uh, that kind of uh, cross-section, living on, 
on uh, 7th Street off 2nd Avenue. This is the old uh, Lower East Side. And then uh, on 57th Street right off of Sutton Place. And then finally 88th Street and 1st Avenue. That's really spanning, running the gamut, you know. <laughs> it really is. And up in our, around 88th Street, uh, this, 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 I, I really liked 88th Street, uh, that whole area. This is a real, a real curious neighborhood feeling around there. And uh, maybe that's be- because of uh, the fact that they're kind of isolated up there. It's hard to get there to begin with on, on the public transportation, believe it or not. It's, uh, it's, it's not easy to get there. And, uh, there, there are, uh, Thousands of fantastic food shops in that area. Great food shops where you can get delicatessens and stuff. Where you can get really elegant uh, European foods. And if you go uh, west, or rather east, on 86th Street, uh, there's some really elegant, really good uh, German restaurants. There's a fur- further way you go over towards the east side. But uh, New York, uh, it's, it's not easy to do a thing on, on uh, New York. Uh, because because you you find that New York uh, even within one specific area is truly uh, contradictory. You, you, you were, because for everything I say, you'll find probably fifty people out there violently disagreeing with me. Uh, because that's their view or their vision or their feeling or experience of the area that I'm talking about. Uh, some people hate the Lower East Side. The minute they get in the Lower East Side, you know they just they just get nervous. But uh, personally, I always enjoyed it down there. There's a place called Cats down. You ever go into Cats down the Lower East Side? Uh, no. <laughs> I mean, it's the place I suspect where the ultimate salami sandwich is convert is put together, and they sit there and have your celery tonic, and it's pure New York all the way. Also in that area, as you go a little bit up from that, uh, the sound of bocce being played is is a continual tattoo on the sensibilities. And uh, that between that and the and the sound of wheels being stolen off parked Mustangs is all part of the of that that whole uh, New York mystique. Now, I'm not uh, I I I feel that uh, that uh, with knowledge, of course, of any of any city, with knowledge, first comes understanding, possibly, and after that, ultimately, probably love. I think people who live in a city and are part of the inner city. And this has been my lot ever since I came to New York, and it's been some time uh, being an integral part of the inner city. You both love it and you hate it. You, you, on the one hand, I find myself defending New York. I really get bugged when I get out of town and I hear people doing gags about New York's violence and so on. I find myself defending it. And then I find myself uh, the next day when I get back to town walking along uh, 10th Street or someplace and it's raining and it's cold and... And uh, I see, uh, you know, somebody uh, somebody sitting in a, in a doorway there, and he's high on whatever it is he's high on, and five guys are rolling him. Then I, I get bugged on, on about New York again, you see. So uh, it's it's very difficult to to uh, to to be yes or no about a, a thing as complex as the city of New York. I I feel my my own personal feeling is that I'm an urban man all the way. I uh, I like urban life. I always have liked urban life. I also like the idea of uh, rural life. But I feel best myself. I feel more complete. I feel more 
alive when I'm in the middle of the city. I know many people feel a frightened thing. They, they get surrounded. I think ultimately our society will divide, and I think the world's society will divide, into two cleanly distinct groups, uh, the urban man and the non-urban man. And uh, I don't think you can get any more urban than you can New York's uh, east side. Uh, it's it's it it, it it I think is is probably a microcosm of of uh, urban life in the world. Now the West Side isn't isn't quite as uh, as uh, decisively a microcosm because New New York's East Side runs the gamut from the absolute pinnacle of elegant living. I mean, really elegant living. There are areas on the on the Upper East Side, and I've lived in these areas, where men will spend more money on a garage for their Mercedes than most people in the country would ever conceivably spend on an entire apartment. <laughs> Three bedrooms and a garage thrown in. Now, that's an absolute fact. Uh, and and uh, more than that, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an extremely cosmopolitan world up there in, in uh, that area of New York. So you run that gamut to, to all the way down, and it's just comparatively a few blocks, comparatively a few miles as the crow flies. Suddenly you're in an area where people have been living in this country for maybe two or three generations, and they still speak very bad English. They can hardly understand the English spoken around them. They haven't even moved out of the block that they've lived in. Their grandfather has lived in this apartment building, and they've lived in it and their children will probably live in it. And that's, a lot of it is still going on like that down on the Lower East Side. So you run, you run the gamut all the way from the, from the rabbit warren existence of the, of the true city ghetto, which is parts of the East Side, to the most elegant kind of life. Uh, the kind of life that, uh, that the people like Aristotle Onassis live, uh, when they're really on, <laughs> when they're really living it big and large. So this city, uh, and especially the the east side is uh, is you just can't conceivably get enough of it. And by the way, another thing I should throw in that one of the big new thriving businesses on the east side, for those of you who don't know much about New York, is the whole thing of prostitution. For example, it's uh, begun to really thrive up and down uh, certain areas. You can drive along Third Avenue; it's like uh, unbelievable sometimes. Uh, and uh, that's added another element to it. And I mean all types of prostitution. Uh, until finally you get up into the Upper East Side and, and uh, you, you find that in many areas, the, the, uh, I would say the, the yearly dietary budget of many poodles on certain blocks in the Upper East Side exceed the yearly family budget for many families in other cities in the country. And I'm talking about comfortable middle class families. There are boutiques up there for poodles that will charge you, say, uh, anywhere up to $150 to trim your poodle's hair. little half hour there with Cousin Chucky with the, with the shears, and, and Brigitte is ready to go out and face the world again. So uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a microcosm of almost anything that you care to name. And in fact, I'll never forget one night, uh, I guess this is the kind of a statement of the east side. I was up in the up in the uh, 70s, in the east 70s, very elegant apartment, and I was with a very erudite Indian uh, who was uh, a member, uh, in fact, of one of the, of the great Brahmin families from India and also part of the government of India. 
And we're sitting there and we're looking out of the window and they're serving an elegant Indian dessert, which includes uh, beaten silver uh, as, as, part, as part of the ingredients of it. We're, all, we're looking out over the city and all this, the streets are going by and he looks down there and, and this elegant Indian says, he says, I cannot think, in a very distinguished voice, he says, I cannot think of a more exciting city in which to spend one's time than New York. And uh, I looked out, I says, well, Dad, <laughs> yeah, you know, no way, no way. You can, you can hate it, you can love it, but man, you can't be bored by New York. If you're bored by New York, you ought to get your valves reground. You got problems with carbon. <laughs> you think you're listening. W.O.R. New York, of course. Stay tuned for Big John Scott in the News.